Hey everyone, welcome back to OTDL Podcast. This is Danielle and I'm here with Lucky. Today we have a guest named Madeline. She was in the Navy and she is here to talk to us about sexual assault, being scared of repercussions and everything else that goes along with it. So hello, Madeline. Hey, Danielle. Thanks for having me. My story starts, I joined the Navy um, at 17 in 2014. I turned 18 when I was in boot camp and I got to go down to a school in Pensacola, Florida. It was pretty scary. I was hadn't been away from home for that amount of time ever in my life previously. And I made some friends with some older girls who had like been to the boat and like told me like crazy stories. I was aware like to be careful, you know, I wasn't just walking into the world thinking that everybody was safe and everybody was my friend. But in in doc, the first First week that we were in Pensacola, they go over like the safety of the region and like what the rules are and reinforcing like what the Navy's rules are. And there is like a zero tolerance for underage drinking. And coming straight out of boot camp, they want to make sure that you know, like, do not underage drink. I know you've just been on like a detox for two months in boot camp, but like, do not do it. If we catch you, it's game over for anybody supplying and anybody partaking in underage drinking. So um, I had some friends that would buy us alcohol and we would go drink at a hotel and then we would go out and we would, you know, walk around town or do whatever it was that we were doing. I met some civilian people that way and I was friends with someone in town. Um, another really important rule when you went out in town is that you always had a Liberty buddy with you. And this is, we just, that's what we called them. I don't know what the other branches call them, but we always had a friend. So you check out with someone, you need to be with them 100% of the time. And that's not always the case. Not everybody follows the rules. <laughs> um, and you're 18 and you're not making good decisions, really. So I went out into town, got a hotel, and split ways with my Liberty buddy. And I went and hung out with my civilian friend, a gentleman that was like 23 years old. And I was 18. And uh, we went to a barbecue. And I really remember the night because it was a Mayweather-Pacquiao fight for like the UFC. And I went to this family barbecue. There was this nice mom there, a couple of cousins so-and-sos and, you know, whoever. While I'm there, I start drinking. It's probably noon and I drink until maybe 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. It's dark by the time that I'm, like, super intoxicated. And I'm throwing up and the, like, mom was, like, taking care of me and, like, really understanding of how embarrassed I was that I had, like, gotten this intoxicated. And my friend... Just hanging out watching the, the fight, and I go outside and I see my friend getting in a car to go to like the gas station or something. And I look at the three guys sitting there and I'm like, Hey, where are my cigarettes? I don't know where my smokes are. Can I bum one? So this guy lends me a cigarette, and while my friend is gone, I'm just like super, super intoxicated, just game over for Madeline. And he asked me how I'm gonna pay him back for that cigarette. At the time, I didn't really process, I wasn't witty, I wasn't able to like snap back or anything. He grabbed my wrist and him and his two cousins and um, took me around the corner into the backyard. It's nighttime now. And I can see through the window, the mom that was taking care of me, I can see her like cleaning up the kitchen. But these one gentleman rapes me and then the other two take advantage of me as well. And it's terrible. And my friend comes back, gets me in the car and we leave. And I remember he said to me when we were in the car, that was super disrespectful. Like what? And I just remember being in shock for hours. 
so that wraps up like what happened to me. What happened after was like, what do you do? I didn't know what to do. I called my Liberty buddy. She came back. My other friend came back to the motel and they listened to what I said, told me, like reassured me like, yeah, that's rape. And then said, you know, you can report it if you want. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Like, what do you mean if I want? So I didn't seek any medical care. I didn't tell anyone else in the Navy and I didn't do anything because I wasn't with my Liberty buddy and I was underage drinking. And I was afraid that I would get in trouble, get kicked out of the Navy at 18. You've been in for three months. Like, congratulations. You're going home now. You've told your whole family you're going to go off and accomplish big things. And that's it. So that's why I didn't report. And I wish I would have known more when I was in about what to do if an assault happens. So were any of those people in the military that you met at this barbecue? No, they weren't in the military. They were all civilians. Okay. And what happened when the rape ended? Like, what was the dynamic afterwards? Did uh, you just go back in the house? Um, basically, I just like, it, my friend came back and they stopped because they knew it was wrong. And we all just walked to the front. I remember like pulling up my pants because all they did was like pull down my pants to where it needed to be and then like went for it. And so I just walked back out front and I, maybe I smoked a cigarette, but I just remember from then I got in the car and he told me that what I did was disrespectful. I've since had a chance to tell him he's garbage. So I feel good about that. He told you that what you did was disrespectful. Yes, because I was like sort of seeing him. So it, yeah, you know, he's right. It was really selfish of you to get raped. So what? he thought that I was basically a whore, I guess. So I have since had a chance to, cause he kept reaching out to me like once a year, he'd reach out to me on like Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat, be like, Hey, how are you? And I just like would block him on whatever platform it was. Well, I think last year and it's been five years and he was still reaching out to me. And I was like, Hey, just, so you know, your friends at that barbecue point blank raped me and you told me I was disrespectful and I can't believe that you did that. So I never want to hear from you ever again. And yeah, so he doesn't reach out anymore. (laughs) I can't comprehend. I mean, more or less, he was telling you it was your fault. So after that happens, my friend is like, you can report if you want. You can do this. That was it. She said, you can report. And I don't know what that means. Still to this day, I was still drunk. just was traumatized. Like no good decision making was coming from that moment other than, wow, I don't want to get in trouble. So from there, I just kind of like skated under the radar for a while. I found a really safe boyfriend and honestly was just with him because he was safe and I knew that. And so I didn't make any bad decisions for about nine months. And then I got super depressed and my anxiety was really high. So I'm just like this depressed, anxious, underage person who's still drinking too much and not getting any help. So eventually I'm in Whidbey Island and we're about to go on deployment. We go on the boat for 14 days. It's the only time I ever went on the boat. It's the like a month before we go on deployment and I freak out and I'm like, you guys, I cannot go. And at this point I live in the barracks. My room is just trashed. My closet's piled high with clothes. I'm just, I'm a mess. I'm showing up to work still like sweating liquor. Someone should have seen that I wasn't okay, but nobody did. And and it's okay because I, I ended up, you know, calling and hanging up and calling and hanging up and then eventually getting on the phone with the mental health clinic. And I was like, you don't understand. I'm not okay. And I need to see someone immediately. I need help 
right now, I, I was very suicidal at the time. And this is probably, I think it's a year and a half after I was assaulted and still have never dealt with it. Not very, told very many people. I go to mental health and I lie that I don't drink because I don't want to get in trouble, which turns out mental health won't get you in trouble for that. They'll actually get you help for it. So that's helpful to know. Ended up seeing this commander psychiatrist and he was kind of intimidating. He asks all the regular psychiatric questions and then I start seeing him weekly and after meeting with him for 30 minutes, he puts me on med hold and tells me I'm not going on deployment. I'm not going to be with my squadron, which is what I wanted and what I expected but also something I was terrified of because you go back to your squadron for a period of time before they leave and everybody assumed I was pregnant and that I got pregnant to get out of deployment. And you don't want to just tell them like, no, I just want to kill myself. So like, what are you supposed to do? So I get put on med hold and transferred to different place where they stick broken people to clean and take out trash and stare at the wall. And after like a week of being there, I ended up getting a super great mentor, an awesome guy. I still chat with him sometimes, but he was able to get me a job working in admin because all I wanted to do was to be productive. And thus far, I went to a school, didn't really do great, don't understand how tools work or how electricity works. Um, went to C school, realized that I was afraid of the jets and then went to my squadron and then really realized I was afraid. So I'm afraid of the jets. I'm an anxious, depressed mess. I've been traumatized and I can't deal with it properly on my own. I am an alcoholic at that point in my life at 18 and a half, 19. So I got a job and it was great. And I ended up working for a year there. I was able to get on a couple different medications. I did have two incidences where I was still drinking, even though I was getting help. And I, I kind of had a freak out where I almost got hospitalized. And that was super scary. Really thankful for all of my friends that like put up with me during that time, because it's self-sabotaging and you know that you're making bad decisions, but you do them anyways. And I told my psychiatrist about my assault, but I said that I wasn't ready to deal with it and that maybe I just didn't want to talk about it with them. So they knew that it happened. They knew that it happened while I was in A school, but they never asked me exactly for the details or how they could help or if I wanted to talk to someone from like Sapper or something. So I was never given the option even after the fact to report it. And that still kind of me a little bit. So I was just talking to Danielle. Um, it hasn't aired yet. It's going to tomorrow, I think. But the last episode that we recorded was uh, with me talking about my coping mechanism, like when I got out of the Navy. So uh, similarly to you, I didn't really fall off the wagon until about a year and a half after I got out of the Navy. Like it didn't really start to hit me that something was wrong that I hadn't dealt with until way after these things occurred. And it's crazy how long your body can manage to tell you you're okay just to get you through. Like your body is in a constant state of, it's called homeostasis. Like chemically, everything, like your body is constantly trying to protect itself and make itself healthy. So, you know, I think in a lot of ways that that's a great thing, but I mean, it really hit me out of nowhere. And it's really sad that, you know, you, you were so young. I mean, when I went through my 
really, really alcoholic, binging, drug phase. I was 25 years old at the time, so I had uh, become a little bit of an adult, and I, I just can't imagine being as young as you were and having to deal with that. And also having the stress of not being able in your head to get help because you thought that the repercussions of being underage drinking would somehow sabotage your path to health. And that's that's really sad. I'm really sorry to hear that. That's definitely something that should be brought up as, you know, something that is not a repercussion, you know, if something happened to you while you were drinking underage. We serve our country at 18 years old. To assume that we are not going to meet people and think that we are adult enough to drink is ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. I don't understand the age limitation of, you know, drinking, you not being able to drink when you're until you're 21, but you can absolutely go stand on a tank or manage millions of dollars of equipment, of aircraft equipment and stand on the same flight deck as a jet and deal with all of that at age 18. I just it blows my mind. No, and I mean the age gap of the people that you're working with, you know, you're working with people from 18 to and closely working with them to like 35, 40. I had close friends that I hung out with that were like 35, 40 at 18. You're not at the same place emotionally in your like mental growth. So. And what does that say about them? Honestly, and, and <laughs> I'm 23 now and uh, my, <laughs> I see 17 year olds and I think, wow, I used to hang out with people my age and that is that's not okay. <laughs> that's not something that I would do on purpose unless I'm in a mentor position specifically, like maybe a volunteer. <laughs> right. Right. And I, I mean, I have a, I have a friend right now. I'm 30 and I have a friend who just turned 22. She works at my work and it is exactly that. It is like a mentor kind of like, I think of her as like a very much younger sister. I would die if anything happened to her, but I'm not asking her to come out and drink with me on the weekends. There's a very distinct line that is between people of that age bracket, like that, that big of an age difference. And I was able to grow up in the Navy and outside the Navy. So I understand that line. And also I'm way too mature to have conversations with people at that age who don't have that real life experience. There's, I have no business hanging out with them. They're yeah. to learn who they are. I already know who I am. I already, you know, I need somebody who's on the same page as me to actually get a fulfilling relationship out of that. And the people that are in the military who spent from 18, it's like they, it's like never, never land. You know, the, we go there and we just stop evolving. Honestly, I had a, he was a second class when I met him and you guys have talked about it before, but when the command, when you check in and they're like, oh, watch out for this person, you know, they're kind of creepy. Um, well, that was him and he was probably in his thirties, had a wife, couple of kids. And from the time I checked into that command until I got out of the Navy, he was always right there trying to hit on me or say something suggestive and like they play it off like it's a joke, but it's, it's definitely just sexual harassment. And we were on the boat for that 14 days, only went for 14 days. So much happened. And he just like, we were packing everything up. And I think he said something to the effect of like wanting to take a shower with me or wanting to watch me take a shower. And I was like, uh, 
<laughs> so I just walked away. That guy followed me for a long time and uh, he was stuck in that mentality. He eventually made first class and he eventually got torn down by his brother, which was great. And I told that guy, I was like, if you weren't in the military, you would be nothing to me. You would mean nothing absolutely at all. You have one skill and it's to follow orders. I do not appreciate you talking to me. They never talked to me again. It was great. And that is exactly the type of response we should be giving to people who make us feel uncomfortable and say the things. You know, I was just talking to my boyfriend the other night and he he was coming from the standpoint of, you know, it needs to be more normalized to just say, hey, that makes me uncomfortable. No, that's not okay. That's inappropriate. And I understand the logic, but as women, we are, it's ingrained in us to be nurturing and to make, make situations comfortable. You know, it's how you raise babies, essentially. Like we have that in our heads just as much as they have it in their heads to mate. Like it's in their genetics to find a mate. So to kind of look at it from that perspective um, is interesting. So it's just really funny that you brought that up and you were able to say it finally, which is huge because not many women feel comfortable enough to say, hey, that's not okay. That makes me uncomfortable. Why do you think that's funny? And there does need to be a shift in normalizing that kind of approach because at least if you say that and they don't understand and they don't get the picture, then that's more ammunition that you have when bringing it up in like a court proceeding or, you know, when you're telling your sapper what happened. If yeah. you vocalize that you're uncomfortable, even though saying, um, no, I don't know, is still you saying no, the only yes is yes, right? But women have come up with a thousand different ways to say no. And I think that's why it's so kind of gray to men. And they've gotten away with moving forward with girls saying, oh, I don't know, or not saying anything. And that's how they were able to move forward. So I'm really glad that you were able to um, speak up for yourself and say that because that just gives us all the more power and voice in the situation. I'm super proud that you said that, especially as as young as you are. I still have issues telling men that this shit makes me uncomfortable. I still have that issue. And a big thing with going to mental health and seeking guidance, it's really big for the military to diagnose somebody with any kind of mental disorder. It, it, usually they throw depression on there and they like over medicating people and it's a known thing. And here I go with one of my little brain chemical body rants, but it's proven that when a female in particular over medicates their brain, your neurochemicals get imbalanced and then you get tired and like you don't have healthy emotions and everything. And then medications affect your hormone levels and you can actually smell pheromones differently. And that can make you select the wrong mate. It's crazy. And literally, if it were done differently, there are so many different choices in your life that you could probably be making differently based off of it just didn't give you medication and found another option for you. 
Honestly. Okay. So the first medication that they put me on, um, I started in December, January timeframe and it didn't work. They tell you that, uh, sometimes it takes six weeks for an antidepressant to start working, but also it could just make you more suicidal. Um, so I heard the warning. It went in one ear out the other because, you know, crazy, depressed, uh, anxious and still at that command that thinks that I got pregnant, um, for getting out of deployment. And that was great. Um, and so it makes me, uh, have really increased, uh, poor decision-making skills. Um, and since I've been out of the military, I have, uh, gone to therapists and now I know that some of my decision-making was based on me being 18, 19 years old. And some of it is based on the fact that I experienced sexual trauma so during that time, I'm on these new meds, I'm super depressed, and I'm also super hypersexual. So I was making some really poor decisions um, that I know now were just a response uh, to the trauma. And I think that's something that women need to talk about more and like it needs to be more expected, um, accepted because a response to trauma is to then take control of your body. And my way of doing that was taking control of the situation and I'm conquering men, I guess, was, was what I was doing until I didn't feel like someone else was taking control of me, basically. And I think it's important for women to know that it's okay to do that and that they're not like gross or whores or something like that. Um, what medication were you put on? Or um, Initially, I was put on um, Celexa. Uh, and, you know, I've heard from some people it worked for them. For me, it didn't work. And then after that, I was put on the regular um, Prozac or Fluoxetine. Um, and that one actually uh, did help and it made me uh, less suicidal. Uh, I also, at that point, started my job in admin, so I felt more productive as a person. And due to all of my poor decision-making skills... I did end up um, pregnant after everyone left. And so I was then pregnant and going through all of like dealing with my trauma and like my depression, like while I'm growing a human. So things were just a rush to the start in the beginning of my adulthood. Um, Fun fact. Did you know that you, you actually probably had more suicidal thoughts? Because if you get put on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication before you were 25, it's just like double the chance that you're going to be more suicidal than you were when you got on the medication. Did you know that? I did not know that. I love that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, I was told that, uh, what's that? They skipped straight to medicating. I love it. Yeah. And they, and they didn't tell you any of the side effects. So on, on a lot of the boxes, it'll say, you know, suicide, uh, ideations and, uh, even more depression and nightmares are more common in women under 25 who take, um, because your, your hormones, your chemicals, are, are still kind of trying to figure out what they're doing in the first place is what my guess would be. Yeah. So that's, that really is a thing. So it's, it's not you. It's, it's definitely the medication and it was definitely your age. And that's, and that's a really shitty thing to kind of experience because you don't get to decide when you go through depression or anxiety uh, that decides for itself and your, your life experiences kind of decide that for you. So hopefully they do in the future kind of come up with something that is more easily digestible to um, women between the ages of 18 and 25, because that really is a problem with most medications. Yeah, it was, it was definitely really hard being on them. I, um, they, they had me on the medication and then I was seeing the psychiatrist 
and the therapist and going to a group therapy once a week for about five months because they were like, we need to see you almost all the time to make sure that you're fine and haven't, you know, committed suicide basically. So one of the coping mechanisms that we're taught, which is helpful, you know, you struggle with things your whole life. And this one's always really important to think about. They had us doing like grounding exercises and explained uh, meditation exercises and explaining that somebody who has these thoughts have like a whole bunch of pathways in their brain and like literal walking paths. And the one that you take most frequently is the easiest to travel. And so for someone that's like suicidal or experiencing those kinds of thoughts, that's the easiest path to go on if something doesn't go your way that day or if you're just feeling that way, it's the easiest one. So grounding exercises were one of the good things that they taught me during my time in therapy, but I didn't really breach my trauma stuff with those therapists because I just didn't feel... My, my, uh, psychiatrist always wore his uniform and he used to be a pilot. And so I was like, uh, I don't, you are in the Navy. Um, my therapist, she eventually got out of the Navy and she dyed parts of her hair pink and I liked her very much, but I still just, everything she wrote went right to the commander. So it was a different, different time. It was weird. I didn't super enjoy it. It's funny that you brought up the grounding techniques because I think the reason that I was able to kind of withstand my feelings for so long and keep them at bay once I got out was because I went to massage therapy school and it was in California. So it was a very spiritually based school and program. And we had to start each class out with an ohm salutation. And at first I was like, this is the silliest bullshit I have ever experienced, like, what have I gotten myself into? Like, I just want to learn about neuromuscular therapy and deep tissue. And, you know, I don't understand any of this. And then we also had to take um, a class called Tai Chi, which is a type of movement. It's very slow and it forces you to get out of your head. Same with yoga. You know, when you're holding poses, you can't really be in your head and also be in the pose. So I learned, I was basically going to therapy without being in therapy. I was tricked and it was seriously super helpful for me, but that wasn't something that was a method that I could use if I wasn't being guided through it or if it wasn't forced out of me. Like I still to this day cannot take yoga like on my own free will. So when I was going through that school, I was like, okay, like my mind is feeling better. Like I'm starting to not slouch and I'm aware of my body and what's going on. And um, I think that's what kept me going for so long. But at the same time, you have to find something that you actually find joy in that you're not just doing because you have to, because sure, it could help. Therapy could help if you're forced to go or if it's the only option available. But there are alternative therapies out there that you don't have to force yourself into. You know, if you like riding horses or if if you always wanted to learn how to scuba dive, there are so many different programs that are available to us that you can take and it not feel like such a drain on you. You're not really feeling connected to that that type of therapy. So have you tried anything that you are able to do that you kind of do of your own free will that helps with, you know, when you kind of get in your 
your dark spots in your head? Yeah. So I've got a couple. Uh, I've got my dog. I got her as a puppy when I was in Whidbey Island. And basically, she's just been with me by my side, like through my first pregnancy. And to this day, like we do just about everything together. Recently, we've been doing a lot of hiking because I'm in Montana and the weather's really good. So we've been doing a lot of hiking. I took her backpacking a few weekends ago and we hiked up the mountain and stayed the night. She's got little shoes and she can carry up to 10 pounds in her backpack now. So I do that and I just got another dog we're going to do dog sports with. So agility and dock diving. So me and the family, that's what we go do. We go physically active. Um, it helps me get unclenched because, you know, it's, I find my shoulders rising towards my ears and my, my neck stiff. But when I'm active physically, it helps me be more connected to the people around me. So I just want to touch, I went to school for health and exercise science and there is a book that I thought my teacher at first was like kind of telling us to read this because, you know, like she personally made it part of our curriculum and it's called Spark. And I actually have three copies of it because I love this book so much. And it's written by this doctor. I don't know if his last name's Ratney or Ratney, whatever, but he touches on different subjects of why it's important to have exercise and how it affects the function of your brain. And it talks about there is a section on kids in school having better memories when they have exercise before they have like a very difficult class or there's a section on depression and it talks about how your brain chemicals and the good feelings that your body produces, how those stick with you more and how your levels of depression significantly get lower just from exercise, no medication included. And I think that's really important. And that to me is something that should be pushed so much more because if you have all these chemicals in your body, what are you really feeling when you have all of these medications in you versus like being able to go outdoors or, you know, spend time with like your family or friends or whatever makes you feel good. You're finally without all those medications and you, you're able to actually feel and experience everything. You're not being blocked and inhibited by medication. Yeah. And that's definitely one of the cons with the medication too, is because yes, it does dole out the hard parts, right? That's what it's made for, but it also doles out everything else. It is a blanket doling machine. And that's great when you have a really low low. And usually people get on medication when they're so low that they don't remember how good it was to be happy. And when they're put on the medication, they get brought to this like kind of level playing field, but there's also no real room to go up in feeling because it's just making you level. I can't say anything bad about medication because that stuff did wonders for me when I needed it. But I knew that once I got to a place when I could recognize that my life was in order, that I needed to get off of it because I knew I wasn't experiencing the good stuff the way that my body should be experiencing those things. Like I wanted to feel true happiness and I couldn't do that unless I was off the medication. So I could kind of gauge where I was mentally by seeing what was around me. Even if I couldn't really feel it, I would be like, okay, work's going really well. My relationships with my friends and with my significant other 
other are flourishing. So maybe it's time, maybe I can kind of wean off this medication. And then when I did, it's like, wow, everything's amazing. This is great. You do have to be aware when you get off medication that, you know, there can be a little bit of a stumbling point. And also you have to be aware that when the, when the lows come, they're really going to come, but you have to have established a really, really good process for dealing with those as opposed to reaching for the pill bottle again. Yeah, no, I think I've worked on and off with different therapists for the last five years. And I'm finally in a period where like, I'm not seeing a therapist. And I think about all the, the skills that each different therapist has brought me. I'm to a point where I can be a good mom and a good wife and dog owner and do all the things that I want to do without being a zombie, basically. Man, you're awesome. Seriously, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about this stuff, especially with when you came on this podcast, you kind of had to be okay with the fact that you needed to talk about what happened to you, which can be hard. And also talking about, you know, the things that you could have avoided, which is drinking underage or the depression that you had that led you to kind of like, you know, the hypersexual thing that you went through, which I'm sure had a lot to do with depression and self-worth issues. And that takes a lot. And it's super important that you're getting your word out and you were able to come out on this podcast with us. It really means a lot to us and I'm glad you were able to get it out. Is there anything else that you kind of wanted to add or talk about before we start wrapping up? I just think it's important that anybody that's in right now, they they know that if you are breaking any rules or laws that you can still report it and repercussions won't come to you because of those rules that you were breaking. I would not have gotten in trouble for underage drinking. I would not have gotten in trouble for not being with my liberty buddy. Things I've learned now, you can report to like the civilian police that you've been assaulted. You should do that. And then I think it's just so important that going forward with all the changes that we as veterans and everybody that's in that we want for the different branches that we just pounded into the kids' heads in Induct that what are your reporting options? How do you report? I think that's super important. I think so too. And I think the more that we kind of collectively come together as a group and talk about Vanessa Guillen and how real the situation is and how close to home it is, the more we can actually discuss how we need to move forward as a sex, right? What our options are as far as like how far we let the line be pushed. And it's in our court, really. Everything short of getting taken out behind a house and being raped or being drunk at a bar, like those little tiny things that get said to you that you're uncomfortable with, we need to start kind of changing the narrative and saying out loud to these people, this is not right and this is making me uncomfortable. And I think once we start getting used to saying those things, it's just like public speaking. You're scared to death of talking and having your voice be heard. And the sooner we start doing it, the sooner it becomes a reflex. You know, I really hope that somebody who's listening can take your story and maybe find some comfort in their own story or maybe that they learned something from this, you know, like that maybe there are people that are listening to this that underage drank and had something happen to them and they're scared and now they know that there are other options and avenues for reporting and it doesn't even have to involve the Navy. It can, it could be a police report and they can hold on to your rape kit for five years so that you can 
determine whether or not you want to report or when. And, you know, I think this is just all very, very important. And I'm glad that you came on and were able to talk with us. Also, we've been getting so many messages from people about their stories, but there are a lot of men who have had these things happen to them. But at the end of the day, if you want to have fucking five shots of tequila, you want to do that, you should be able to drink everything you want to drink and get as drunk as you want without having to worry about somebody being a piece of shit and taking advantage of you. At the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. You shouldn't have to tiptoe around things because somebody doesn't have fucking self-control because they didn't teach, hey, Jimmy, don't fucking grab her ass when she doesn't want you to. Keep your hands to yourself. So it's something that I think people need to also realize, like, don't not do what you enjoy because somebody else can't keep their hands to themselves or whatever, but, you know, and report them. They deserve to get in trouble. Like, fuck them. Literally. There shouldn't be shame around getting raped. You got raped. It happened to you, not because of you. So, Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. If anybody wants to share their stories or show support, you can contact us at our email, which is otdlpodcast at gmail.com, or you could contact us on Instagram. Our handle is otdlpodcast, but we will talk to you guys next time. Next time.